0: Take your Bibles if you would. Nehemiah is where we're going to be. The book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. The book of Nehemiah and chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. We were here um, Sunday morning in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we're just going to finish this up in preparation of a revival which starts this Sunday. Don't forget, we have kind of a schedule change on Sunday. And that is we're just having one service Sunday morning, that's at 10 o'clock, and then we'll have our regular evening service, and of course in between those times uh, are the uh, air show, and so um, we're, we're uh, not having our 11 o'clock service because we certainly don't want Brother Schwenke to have to try to preach over the jets, and it just be counterproductive. And so um, our service will be at 10 o'clock on, uh, on Sunday. All right, Nehemiah chapter 13, and we're in verse number 1 of Nehemiah chapter 13, again opening the door to revival as we get ready for our revival meeting. The Word of God says on that day, they read in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, and he he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. Now it came to pass, when they had heard the law, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do pray that we would get our hearts ready for the revival as it is coming up. And Lord God, we pray that you would uh, not only be preparing us in our hearts, but Father God, those who are not here, uh, that will be here on Sunday. Uh, Lord, you have it all set up already, and we know that you know who's going to be here. We pray for our speaker, Lord God, that you would fill him with your spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with the service tonight now. Use it for your glory and honor. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and be seated. Now we looked at the background of Nehemiah on Sunday morning and just to uh, just to go through it real quickly, obviously, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes I in Shushan the palace there, the Medo-Persian Empire. He was a Jew and uh, he was able to get word as far as what was going on in Jerusalem. Of course, this is long after the... Uh, Babylonian captivity and the Jews had been sent back to Jerusalem and many of them went back to Jerusalem they had rebuilt the temple and of course that had been finished when we come to Nehemiah that had been finished 70 years ago and Nehemiah thought that they'd be a lot further along in the city of Jerusalem but they were not they had uh, not only uh, were they at a standstill but as is often the case in our own spiritual lives if we 're not going forward we 're going backward and so Nehemiah got the report that not only is Jerusalem not going forward, but Jerusalem has gone backwards yes they've uh, they 've completed the temple that was completed seventy years ago, but as far as the city itself it is uh, it is rubble, and the walls are burnt down, and they are they are getting uh, they're receiving opposition from every side. And so things have just gone from bad to worse. And of course, this really shook Nehemiah up. And of course, the book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah getting permission from the king to go to Jerusalem and pretty much govern over the situation there. When he got there, he, um, he surveyed the situation and then God gave him a plan. And in 52 days, they were able to build the walls around the city of jerusalem and this they did pretty much the bible says in one hand they had a hammer and in another hand they had an arrow because of the fact that they were being attacked on every side and so this just goes to show that even in spite of opposition when god's people put their mind to doing god's will there's nobody can stop god's will from getting done and so uh, we need to have that mindset, not a defeated mindset. Boy, and we just had, um, we just had another election. And of course, I don't, I don't know what the results were. And I don't know uh, what results you wanted. But oftentimes after an election, it's, it, it's uh, easy to get depressed. It's easy to get down. Uh, but here's the thing. God's still in control no matter what. And so we see this with Nehemiah. He came, and he came with the mind to let God lead. And, of course, as a result, he became a great leader himself. So in our portion of Scripture here in Nehemiah chapter 13, we come to the uh, the end of the book here in this very last chapter, we see several keys that were opening up the doors to revival among God's people in Israel. And even though this is an Old Testament uh portion of scripture we were reminded Sunday morning that the Old Testament is just as much the Bible as the New Testament is that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable so we can certainly use these principles and apply them toward opening the doors for revival today as a matter of fact I believe some of the greatest scriptures concerning New Testament revival are found in the Old Testament and so as we look at Nehemiah here, uh, we looked at we wanted to look at several keys. We only got through the first two and let's go ahead and just look at those again. Uh, key number 1, I believe the first thing that they did was in state proper worship. They, uh, we see them here in state proper worship. Nehemiah 13 verse number 1. On that day they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people and we looked at the center of worship which was obviously God's word and how important it is preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine second timothy chapter 4 verse number 2 that is what the church is supposed to do that's to be at the center of every service the preaching of the word, the reading of the word, the implementation of the word, the application of the word. But not only did we notice the center of worship was the word of God, but also the assembly for worship. The Bible says on that day they read in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people. And of course, there's some great things that we learned from this. This was not the only time they did this in Nehemiah. If you go back to Nehemiah chapter 8, you can see that this actually became a practice. And there were some things involved in this practice that I think it would do us well in the New Testament church to continue to implement these things in our practice as we worship our Lord Jesus Christ in His church. Keeping in mind, it's not our church it's God's church, and he's given us the very great privilege of being a part of the body of Christ. And so Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, and we, we noticed uh, three things here. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 1. The Bible says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man. So there you have a, a, a body, You have a congregation in the street. So you don't need a building to be a congregation. You need a congregation to be a congregation. And the Bible says that they gathered together in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and of women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read thereon before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive. And I think that's the first thing right there. The fact that this congregation was attentive when the word of God was being read, and when the word of God was being presented. And I think, boy, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, we need to be attentive. We need to teach our children to be attentive. We need to set the example to be attentive during the, during the preaching of the word, during the reading of the word. Uh, it is our reasonable service to be attentive to the word of God. Not only do we see that they were ten, attentive, the Bible tells us also that they, there were signs of reverence. The Bible says in Also in verse number three, that they read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday and before the men and women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for this purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah. Of course, we don't need to go through all the names, but look at verse number five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood. So we see not only here's the, the attention to the word of God, but the reverence to the word of God. By the way, this is where we got our custom years ago in the United States of America, that uh, in, in, in the court... That the judge would walk in and the people would stand. Now they still do, but there's a difference today. It used to be that they stood in reverence to the book that the judge carried, and that book happened to be the Word of God. It was the Bible. Well, now, of course, we've made people our gods, and so we stand in reverence and and in honor of the position, but that did not used to be the case. And you can go, you can go look that up on your own if you want to. Remember, uh, my grandmother, who um, I don't believe was even saved, was a court reporter. And she's the one who told me that, that it used to be that when the judge walked in, he was carrying a book, the, the, the book that they would swear on was the Bible. And that book is what the reason that the people would stand because they stood, well, much like what they did in the days of Nehemiah when Ezra opened the book. The Bible says that the people, they all stood up. It is a sign of reverence. But we also see that as the word of God was being preached and as it was being read, the people were excited about it. And they were actually vocal. Verse number 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord. The Great God and all the people answered, "Amen, amen, with the lifting up of of their hands, and they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, and so not only the the center of worship, the Word of God, but also these these actions, these works of worship, and so they instated proper worship. that was the first step, but i I, I believe there was a, a second step or a second key. And that is that they identified hindering wickedness. They identified hindering wickedness. So they instated proper worship. But look at also verse number, I'm sorry, Nehemiah chapter 13. Let's back go back to our main text. Nehemiah chapter 13 and in verse number 1. You know... Sometimes, oftentimes, the Word of God tells us things that we really don't want to hear because it means I I got to make a choice. I've either got to acknowledge the Word of God is the Word of God and change things in my own life, and every single one of us hear things from the Word of God, or we are reacquainted with something in the Word of God that causes us to pause and say, "Wow." You know, I haven't thought about that for a long time, or this is new to me. I've never thought of that. And I I can either get mad at the preacher because he dares preach on it, or I can get mad at the situation, or I can just say, I need to change. God is always right. The Bible says, let God be true, and every man a liar. And sometimes in our, in our own lives, in the way that we live, well, I'm living, the, I'm living a lie because I'm being disobedient to the word of God. And so there was some things, there was some wickedness that was going on. And sometimes it's done in innocence. Sometimes it's done naturally. Remember what Paul said about lust or about, uh, uh, about coveting he said i had not known lust but the law said thou shalt not covet I and mean, lusting it's just so natural to us and we like, often like to say well it's it's just natural well that's just being human and that's exactly the problem being human there is none righteous no not one and oftentimes being human the word of god points out to us that our Uh, our, Our natural desires are wrong desires, that our natural inclinations are wrong inclinations. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so even our natural emotions, we need to keep in check because they're wrong emotions. And so the Bible tells us that what they were doing naturally was wrong. Therein was found in uh, Nehemiah chapter thirteen, as they were reading the word of God. Therein was found that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. And uh, the Ammonite and the Moabites were actually relatives of the Jews, relatives of Israel, and and going all the way back to. Uh, to lot and and so they were relatives but they were not relatives that god wanted in the congregation unless of course they repented of their sins and and like us today uh accepted the god of the bible and so what they were doing was well there was a lack of separation in the congregation you know the whole reason that God wanted the, uh, the children of Israel or God wanted his congregation to separate uh, was uh, God did not want them to be influenced by the things of the world. And we looked at this uh, last uh, Sunday morning and we went to the book of Judges, but not only did we see the lack of separation, but also there was this duration here. Um, the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy which was being read to the children of Israel on this day in Nehemiah chapter 13 uh, was written a long time ago it was written centuries before even, uh, even a few thousand years before all this had taken place but here's what I'm trying to say is that what is sin 2,000 years ago is still sin today and what was sin 4,000 years ago is still sin today and what was right is still right God does not change and rather than Ezra stop everything and say now hey listen I understand we live in a different day and we live in a different age and this really does not relate to us no, instead, he said, this is the word of God. And so what did they do? The Bible says it came to pass in verse number three that they heard the law and they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. Well, they could have easily said, well, we live in a, we live in a different age. We live in a different day. This was centuries ago. This was a long time ago. Certainly, it's not applicable to today. Wrong. It's still applicable to today. And we need to have the attitude that, well, the Bible is still the Bible. God's Word is still God's Word. It's so easy for us, even, even in the church, when things change and things become, uh, things become normal. Just because it's become normal doesn't mean that it's become right. Can I say this divorce is normal in our society? It, it it's more normal than staying with one person for all your life. However, God's word still says God hates divorce. He hates divorce. Now, we understand that there are uh there are biblical reasons, but let's face it as popular as it is today, more people than not are doing it just because it's, it's so accessible and it's the easy thing to do. Here's the temptation when you live in the day and age in which we live. Well, just don't ever touch on that subject because chances are 70% of the people in your congregation have been divorced and remarried. Well, just because it's normal and it's common, doesn't mean that that's how God wanted it to be. And so no matter what, no matter how many people it touches, and by the way, it sounds like this portion of Scripture touched an awful lot of people. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in verse number 4, it even went all the way up to the priest. And so it touched an awful lot of people. So Nehemiah uh, could have easily said, or Ezra, when he was reading it, could have easily said, you know what, this is going to offend 90% of my congregation. I probably ought to just gloss over it. It's, It's outdated. But he didn't. The Bible says he read it, and when it was found therein, that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude, even as it went all the way up to the priest. Hey, it had become normal. It was normalized. Much like divorce and remarriage has become normalized in our society today. Or uh, um, uh, fornication has become normalized in our society today. And, of course, the list could go on and on and on. Uh, this a lack of separation has become normalized in churches today. But it still needs to be preached. And I know it's old-fashioned. And I know it's outdated. But I want to tell you something. You look at the mess that our society is in, and it would do us well as a society to get back to the Word of God and get back to the things of God and say, God is right and let every man be a liar. So just because we live in a society that accepts, even glorifies sin, doesn't mean that God has changed His mind on it. We live in a society that has redefined sin, even sanitized sin by not calling it uh, what it used to be called anymore. They instated proper worship. They identified hindering wickedness. Key number three to opening the door to revival. They ignited the wonder found in God's Word. You know, the Bible tells us again, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse number 1, and by the way, we know that they'd already done this at least one other time. Uh in Nehemiah chapter eight. They read the book of Moses from the morning to midday. And this was probably a common practice. But it's interesting how you can read the same portion of scripture over and over and over again and do it 365 uh times out of the year and get something new. 365 times out of it the bible tells us in nehemiah chapter 13 verse number one that on that day that they read in the book of moses in the audience of the people and therein was found written they discovered something it wasn't new but a lot of times it's because god works on us in one area and then we come to something else, and then God works on us in, in that area. Uh, I guarantee you that the reason that now they're in is found is because they had other areas in their life that God had to work on before he, could, before he could hit them with this. You know, a lot of times when you are discipling young Christians, boy, you just can't throw everything at them all at one time and expect them to change everything overnight. And God doesn't expect that. But it's amazing what you're going to find in God's Word if you you search the Scripture. Search the Scripture. I'm still finding new things all the time. As a matter of fact, the longer I'm in the ministry, the more ignorant I feel when it comes to the Word of God. Because there's just new discoveries. And it's not that they're new. It's just that I'm finding them. Over and over again, God reveals new things to us constantly. This is an infinite book, and I believe when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll still be discovering things from the Word of God, and we'll still be learning things from the Word of God. Notice the phrase, therein was found written. It's not that it was new. It's always, it was always there, but now they're realizing it, and God is bringing it to light People are often amazed at the stands a Bible-believing church takes because they have no idea what's in the Bible. When people really want to know the truth about God's plan, God says this, Seek and ye shall find. Knock, the door shall be opened unto you. When you want to know the truth about God's plan, you're going to find that therein is written Here's a great one. Salvation is by grace through faith and not by works, ceremonies, or religious traditions. Salvation is actually quite simple. And thank God for that. Also, we'll find that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so glad that God doesn't categorize us. We're categorized by two categories the believers and the non believers. And the only thing separating us is that believing. That's it. Jesus died for the world. He died for all of mankind. Jesus challenged the Pharisees who liked these designations and these classes because they were the elitists in their day. But Jesus challenged the Pharisees because they were so caught up in tradition and judging people by how they washed their hands, and if they washed their hands, and how they washed their pots, and how they washed their pans. They were caught up in tradition and ceremonies. And so when the true word, the living word, came and stood right in front of them, they didn't recognize him. This word that they claimed to know so well. And uh, Jesus told them in John chapter 5, And in verse number 39, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Be amazing what you'll find if you will honestly just open up the scriptures. Not too long ago, my wife and I were listening to this testimony of a Mormon woman, former Mormon woman, whose entire family came to know Christ as personal Savior. And it was interesting Uh, how uh, she said that they went about it and um, the main thing was her son and they were they were a dedicated mormon family her son had gone on a mission and when he went he came into contact with an independent baptist who kept challenging him read the book of john Just read the book of John. Read it over and over and over again. Read it with all honesty. You believe that the Bible is the word of God, so exclude everything else and just read the book of John through that. By the way, you can't out-debate them. They're very smart. But if you can get them to read the scripture, therein is found, especially in the book of John, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. By the time you come to the end of the book of John, if you open it, seeking, knocking, things are going to be open to you and you're going to be like, man, I got to go read that again. And through the process of reading, and that's how he got the rest of his family saved, by convincing them, read the book of John. Just read the book of John. We tell, we tell new Christians Start in the book of John Man, it'll establish a foundation for you A great foundation And so that was her her testimony What's the key to arguing? Well, first of all They have to be open and have a teachable spirit And second You and I are not going to convince them uh, Let's be honest We're not going to convince anyone to be saved The Holy Spirit does that by drawing them, and the Holy Spirit does it with the Word of God. I am so thankful it doesn't take talent to lead people to Christ. I'd be oh for a million uh, by now. I'm so glad it doesn't take talent to present the Word of God. The Word of God presents itself, and praise God for that. Search the Scriptures. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. Let me just, if Jesus couldn't out-debate And uh, convince the Pharisees, you and I are not going to convince people who get up every morning and go and and get indoctrinated in their religion. But the Word of God can do it. And my, if we can convince them, read the Word of God. Read the Bible. Matthew 15, verse number 9, Jesus said this concerning the Pharisees. He says, in vain they do worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men because they were so they were so immersed in their their man-made traditions and their ceremonies. This is an amazing account we read here in Nehemiah chapter 13 from which many lessons can be learned. The covenant God made with Abraham and his children included I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and and this is where we are right here, Nehemiah chapter thirteen. You have the children of Abraham, and then you've got the uh, the Ammonite and, and the Moabite, not the children of Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham is, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse him that curseth thee. It's a good thing to get on the uh, uh, the good side of the children of Abraham. It's not a good thing to get on the bad side of the children of Abraham. Romans four sixteen 16 says that those of us who are saved are the children of Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verse number 16 in this New Testament age. It is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure to all the seed, not that only which is of the law, but to that which also is of faith who is the father of us all that's why our kids love to sing they don't understand it because i remember when i was a kid i didn't understand it why are we singing father abraham has many sons i am one of them and so are you i don't have a father named abraham <laughs> my father was pat but I, I i i understood through the process of time you come to know christ as your personal savior and you are of that seed. And Father Abraham is our spiritual father. Not our heavenly father. That's God the father. But our, our, our spiritual father. Galatians 3, 8 through 9 tells us that we are blessed with Abraham. Galatians 3, verse number 8. The scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In these shall all nations be blessed, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You do realize that Jesus in the flesh was a son of Abraham. He was a Jew. But he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again, and us through faith in Jesus Christ, we become Uh, sons and daughters of God, the seed of Abraham. And so we truly can sing, Father Abraham had many sons. I'm one of them and, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Therefore, those who cross the church of Christ, cross the seed of Abraham, nothing good can come of it. The Moabites and the Ammonites had crossed God's people. They hired a prophet to curse them. And as a result, they were cursed forever. And God said that the Ammonite and the Moabite cannot come in to the congregation. Be a blessing to God's people, and it'll come back to you. We read about that in Matthew chapter 25. But in order to bring revival to this people, they had to instate a proper worship. And we see that the Bible being the center of it, the congregation being important. They had to identify hindering wickedness. They keep, if I regard iniquity in my heart, what does the Bible say? The Lord will not hear me. And so once they identified Sin that they were involved in. The Bible says that they got that sin out of their lives. And then they imparted the wonder, the wonder which is the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Search the Scriptures. You're going to learn something new just about every day. Not all you learn are you going to like because it's going to mean change in my life. I've got to change. In this case, it, they had to change their relationships. And that's a hard thing. Sometimes as Christians we realize, man, there's some relationships in my life and I need to cut those relationships off. Man if I, if I'm a saved child of God and I'm dating someone who is not saved and that person is a potential uh, is a potential uh, a spouse or something of that nature. Boy, this is something that I need to evaluate. We're not to be unequally yoked together, the Bible says, with, with unbelievers. And, of course, who we fellowship with and who the church allows in. We're only, we as a church are allowed only to let in the seed of Abraham. Those who have come to know Christ as personal Savior, and those who have been scripturally baptized, and then they are added to God's congregation. So, impart the wonder. Number four. Number four. Implement the works. Implement the works. Remember, faith without works is dead. So, they heard the Word of God. The Bible says that they found something, some hindering wickedness in their life. They imparted the wonder of God. And now they needed to do something about it. Faith without works is dead. Okay, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. The Bible says that in Nehemiah chapter 8, as it was being read, they said, Amen and Amen. You know, a lot of people say Amen, but they don't do anything about it. Boy, I believe that every time the church doors are open, we ought to be in church. Amen. But are we practicing it? I believe that uh, uh, we are to be soul winners. Amen. But are we practicing that? I believe that we ought to read the Word of God so that we can grow continually. Amen, preacher. But are we practicing it? And now, I believe that As children of God, we are to live separated lives and that the church is to be separated. Well, that's getting a little too close to home. Preacher, you need to just mind your own business. My friends will be my friends. Who I date is going to be who I date. Who I fellowship with is going to be who I fellowship with. And by the way, preacher, you're getting a little too close to home because um, some of these are, are family members now. So you just mind your own business. Can I say this? I take no pleasure in preaching it. I just have, I'm just the messenger. I've got to read the Word of God. And this is what it says. And Ezra was reading the Word of God and praised the Lord the people in verse number 3 implemented the works first of all look at the obedience verse number three said they separated from israel all the mixed multitude they did it they just they obeyed and as i said sunday these were probably some lifelong friendships that were broken hey if if we want to continue This relationship, you do understand that what the Ammonite and the Moabite would have to do is quit being an Ammonite and a Moabite. and In the Old Testament, that meant, it meant becoming part of the congregation of Israel. It meant uh, putting their faith and trust in the God of Israel. And then it meant the act of obedience. Thank the Lord, our act of obedience is baptism. And not circumcision. Because that's what it was in the Old Testament. And that's what they would have had to go through. And so the Bible says that they separated from Israel. All the mixed multitude. And that's why a lot of times uh, you'll see the, that they separated the, the uncircumcised. Obedience. Contrary to popular teachings, the immediate hurts of obedience can run deep imagine how this must have hurt there were probably as I said some deep friendships that had been made but you're not a believer and then there was the application hey reading God's word attending God's church that preaches it will do nothing without the application of it you may have a trainer that you go see once a week. But if you don't apply the things that that trainer tells you, you may have a nutritionist who gives you the the best menu that you could possibly have. But if you don't apply it, you don't practice it, and, and you don't ingest it, and you don't bring it in, having a, having a nutritionist, having a trainer is not going to help you at all. You know a lot of Christians wonder, why is why is it? How come I'm not seeing the blessings in my life? I, I go to church, I read the Bible, but are you putting it into practice in your own life? Is it uh, are are you applying it? Reading God's word, attending the church and then putting it into practice in your everyday life? Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. They instated proper worship. They identified hindering wickedness. They imparted the wonder of God And then they implemented the works which made the corrections in their lives. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed.